Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome into the Otsen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me on the show as always. On this Monday, November 9th, the Oregon Ducks are 1-0, 1-0 in the 2020 football season, coming off an impressive 35-14 victory over the Pac-12 North rival Stanford Cardinal. Game was played at Austin Stadium. No fans, but Eric and I were both in attendance for that game. Uh, Eric, real quick, we're going to dive into this show and we're going to kind of discuss some grades that you've given out. We're going to discuss some uh, of the top players that we've seen from Oregon in week one. Uh, But overall, just before we dive into that, those two topics specifically, um, overall, you've had more time to think on this on this game. Um, I think it was a pretty dominant performance, all things considered of who Oregon had to replace, where those positions were seeing new starters, the offseason that they had. And I understand Stanford was without Davis Mills, their five-star quarterback, number one recruit, uh, you know, a guy that's going to be on NFL radars. But Oregon, I, I feel like having a, a couple of days to digest the game now, I feel like Oregon, that was a pretty impressive win. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. You know, and, and you mentioned kind of the things that Oregon was up against, and, and I feel the same way in terms of they had a lot of obstacles. I think they overcame it. I think, you, look, you come away from this, and I, I, wanna, I don't want to say remove what the final score was because that's important, but if you just take a look at kind of some of like maybe the early takeaways from what you can, you know, what you can take from this game, I, I think you feel much better about the quarterback position. At least I know I do. I, I think there's still more that I want to see from Tyler Shuck probably throwing the football in particular. And I know the game plan obviously didn't require him to throw it 40 times. Um, and I think he was pretty effective when he did throw it, but there were a couple throws that weren't great, but I think overall I feel really good about what Oregon has there. His dual threat ability. We talked about it on Saturday's show. I think defensively, I know there were times where Stanford had some success running the football and had some success throwing the football. There were probably too many big plays, you know, um, a couple of those Simi Fajoko passes, you look, I went back and watched. Those are kind of disappointing the way he got behind both Mikhail Wright and then certainly David Davis. You know, the 73 yard Nathaniel Pete run, probably you, you, you'd like to f- figure out a way to stop that and, and fill those gaps a little better. But I think defensively, like aside from getting to the quarterback and forcing turnovers, they did a pretty good job of getting off the field and forcing Stanford to kick field goals. And we know what happened there. So, yeah, I think you feel pretty good about it. I don't think there's a, a, a real glaring area of the game. I know there's area areas that you need to see improvement from, and I, I expect we're going to see that 
this week against Washington State to some degree. Obviously, different teams, different ways they attack offenses and defenses. But, um, yeah, I think overall you come away being like Oregon's 1-0. They won by three scores, and I think there's more to like than there is to, to dislike. Grades. I think I will immediately go to the offensive side of the football with your grades because I want to know, like, after further review, what you thought of Tyler Shuck's performance. It was weird. Like, during the game, you know, I'm getting uh, messages on, on the message board. I'm, getting, I'm seeing posts on Twitter that Tyler Shuck was not all that impressive, and yet he goes 17 of 26, 227 yards, a touchdown, did have an interception, yeah. but he also had 85 yards and a touchdown, and that came on just 11 carries. And it's like, if you told me, okay – if a guy had over 300 yards of total offense, two touchdowns at the beginning of the game, you, I think everyone would sit here and say, wow, Tyler Shuck had a hell of a performance for his first start. I think people are looking more at the, the 227 thinking he was going to throw for 350 every game. That's not going to be the case. And Eric, I don't know if you knew this stat or not, but he's the only, he's only the second player in program history to throw for over 200 yards and rush for at least 80 in their starting debut at Oregon. The only other player to do that was Vernon Adams in 2015. Did not know that stat. I kind of was hoping to see something similar to that because I was wondering when the last 80-yard rushing performance from a quarterback was because I know Justin Herbert's high was 56. So, yeah, you have to go back to 2015 to the Vernon Adams year um, to have a quarterback be that effective. I gave uh, Tyler Shuck in the quarterback position I, I, a B. Obviously, that's just Tyler Shuck because he was the only quarterback that played, but you know, I, I probably deducted a little bit for the turnover. Not probably. I deducted a little bit for the turnover and a couple of other spotty throws. He had two other throws that could have been picked off. Um, obviously, one in the end zone um, on the drive that resulted in a Camden Lewis missed field goal. And then the second one was one that really would have been costly. If, if Stanford had picked that ball off after they came and scored the touchdown to get the two scores, it was either his first or his second play of that next drive. Chuck throws it kind of in a similar spot of the field to where his, his first pick of the game was thrown. And, and if that goes the other way, Stanford might have had a lot more, certainly would have changed the, you know, the, the way the game closes out. It might have been a little bit closer probably because they would have been right down there to score again. Don't like that stuff. But I think overall, like, he was sharp. I think you go back and you watch a couple of the, the balls downfield, the throw to, to Micah Pittman, who made a great grab. That was a great throw. I mean, he put that thing on the, on the money. He made – I mean, Pittman made a fantastic catch. Um, that's the kind of play you know he can make. I thought he made a couple of nice throws to John Johnson down down the sideline as well. Um, the stuff underneath, he looked effective. A, a lot of the damage he did, I mean, I think almost every single, actually, I think every single pass play DJ Johnson caught, he had five, a team high five catches were basically off the exact same, you know, zone, you know, RPO kind of play where you have the running back coming as a possible ball carrier, the defensive end or linebacker crashes down. And when that happens, Shuck capes, you know, takes a couple of steps out and Johnson's uncovered right there in the flat and he just kind of dumps it to him. So those aren't like high degree of difficulty plays, but those are well executed. And, and I saw some of the comments as well that you're talking about, about being critical of Shuck online. And most of those seem to happen in the first half. And I think most of them were, were more about, well, obviously they weren't happy with the interception, but more about the inability to, make the right reads on, you know, the, the zone option there of holding onto the ball rather than giving it 
to Verdell, which I think there are a couple of times where we would, everybody would admit that he maybe made the wrong choice there. But like that got better over the course of the game. And I, I think a B is very st- a solid grade. I think, you know, if he doesn't make that interception and, and a couple of those throws, probably would have given him a, a B plus or an A minus. Um, and I think just overall, like really solid first start for somebody given everything that this offseason's provided. Yeah, that's what I was going to just jump in and say was we're, we're grading very critically here, but we're also not taking into account the offseason that this, I mean, at least me personally, that this program had. And you have a, you have a new quarterback who had to learn a system uh, without a majority of the spring practices. They had four of 15 spring practices concluded. Um, we had up and down off seasons. You could do stuff. You couldn't do stuff. You couldn't meet in person. You couldn't, you could meet in person. A lot of zoom calls, a lot of film review off of scenarios in which the players watching the film weren't involved in um, the film that they were watching. Uh, you had a lot of uncertainty of how you were going to train together. And you had a new offensive line I felt like for a first game, yeah, it, it he looked good. Now, what happens in the next couple of weeks will tell us a lot. Do we see an uptick in growth and improvement now that he's got one game under his belt? Now he's got two games under his belt. Now he's got three games under his belt. That's what you want to see. You want to see continued growth uh, from Tyler Shuck. Offensive line probably is the second most important question. Uh, maybe for me, it was the, maybe the, the number one, but um, – another position group in which there were a lot of eyes on this group to see how well they were played, what stood out among this offensive line for you with entirely all new starters across the board. Another B grade. Um, I think the first half, and I don't think it's entirely fair to, to, to single out the offensive line for some of the inability to run the football, but aside from Shuck scrambling, there wasn't a lot of effective running, right? I think C.J. Verdell had 32 yards rushing in the first half, and I know the first quarter at least you had Stephen Jones not starting and not playing your best offensive tackle. I don't think there's any question about that. When he came in and, and, and was back out there, it seemed like things started to click a little more. Um, I, I think the way they protected Tyler Shuck was pretty impressive. I know he made a couple of plays to evade a, a rush and – you know, his longest run of the, of the game or two of his longest runs of the game were, were off of scrambles where, where he had to kind of get out of the pocket and go. But I think overall, like the way they – I think they blocked great in the second half especially. You know, you think about the way they ran the football. Um, I think almost 200 yards of rushing in the second half after about 70 in the first. And and, and, the, and the ability to open up holes. I mean, you watch the, the, the couple of those big runs that Verdell and obviously Travis dies touchdown run and then his – a 40 yarder with that nice that pirouette spin move like they don't make those plays downfield if not for what the offensive line does opening it up and I think an extension of that is DJ Johnson had a great seal block at least on that Travis die run um, you know and I'm sure he was also impactful on others but that was just another one on replay I, I noticed watching it of boy DJ Johnson we talked a lot about him as a pass catcher and I know Mario Cristobal brought up some of the positive stuff as a blocker as well, but going back and kind of watching a little more closely, like he, he blocked pretty well too. I know he had some, he missed a couple early on in the game, but you know, the offensive line as a whole, I thought performed pretty darn well. And, and I'll be curious to see kind of how this looks next week against Washington state. Um, they've now going to have a week to gel. And I think another thing is like, and we talked about it on Saturday after the game of they rotated through a variety of different, iterations of this you know um 
it wasn't just they started the their, their five guys and stuck with it. I mean, there are a ton of different versions of this line, and I'll be very curious to see going forward. A did Mario Cristobal, and we're going to talk with him after we record this, just so people know kind of the timeline on this, and maybe get an idea of this. But did he see enough from the? You know, did he? Did, does he have a five now, or are we going to continue to rotate? Um, and if we do have a five now, what does this group look like a week from now when there's a little bit more continuity from play to play, drive to drive, which I think you kind of lacked a little bit in this game. And all things considered, I think you have to be really happy with what you saw. Yeah, they they did a ton of uh, position changes and you know shuffling of of guys around. It was it was interesting to watch because, mm-hmm. like for instance, you see Ryan Walk. This is a guy that. One, we weren't really expecting him to start. He did start, um, and I think that's pretty cool to see um, a, a, a local kid who walked onto the program. gets. I mean, imagine that this is his week. Uh, players come forward and say he should he should be on scholarship. He gets put on scholarship, and then he makes his first career start for the Ducks, and then on top of that, he makes at least one national uh you know, week 10 college football team as a guard. Um, but he, pl- I saw him play left and right guard. Uh, I mean, we saw Malasala Omave uh, move from, I think, tackle to guard both yeah. sides of the line. I mean, they were, they were doing a lot of, of rotations. And I'd love, actually love, I know we get snap counts typically for the offensive line. I wouldn't mind getting, not just a snap count, but of where they were, because I, I'm curious to see. I mean, we noticed from drive to drive of like, oh, TJ Bass isn't even on the field now. Oh, uh, Malasal is playing right tackle. He was just playing right guard. I mean, that kind of stuff was happening throughout the game. I'd love to see not only just who played the most snaps, but also who played the most snaps where. I mean, I think aside from Alex Forsyth at center, and I, I think George Moore played quite a bit at left tackle, um, but I know they also rotated. Uh, a ton of movement up there. And, and again, I, I think obviously that was intentional and I'd be very curious to see if that's something we're going to see throughout the season. And if, I mean, is this as simple as we think certain personnel groups, I mean, you see this at, like receiver and running back typically, right? Like you'll see, you know, Oregon gets around the red zone and they're going to bring in Cyrus to DB league kill to run or Oregon knows they're going to have to, uh, you know, be a little bit more vertical passing. They'll bring out a couple of receivers with better speed. Is this a thing where, Hey, they think they've got such, versatility and talent on the offensive line that they're just rotating based upon the person, you know, the personnel grouping is reflective of what they're doing or, or were they just trying to mix and match? I mean, I, I think it's a, a really worthy question. I know we're probably going to have an answer to that by the time most folks are listening to this podcast, but I think I came away from the offensive line group feeling pretty good about where they're at and, and the depth there. Oh, they basically ran through six different guys and it didn't seem like they really missed a beat. Um, regardless, obviously I think the second half was better than the first half defensively real quick um don't want to give away the entire grading here but you can read the whole thing on duckterritory.com um but defensively what stood out the most to you positive or negative yeah i think i think the secondary did a better job than people want to give it credit for um i know you go back and you watch it and you can't argue the point that mikhail wright got twice downfield once in the on that I think second drive that, that led to the Stanford touchdown on um, a, a, ca- a catch by, I think it's Bryson Tremaine down the field. That, by the way, that was just a heck of a throw. And I thought Wright had pretty darn good position. I'm, I'm actually pulled up my slide here and it's a picture of the catch. And like Wright's arm is like in Tremaine's like grasp basically. And the ball is hitting Tremaine in the chest. And the fact that he held on, like I don't think you could have covered it much better. 
Um, and David Davis got beat a couple of times and picked up a pass interference once. But, like, I thought they played pretty darn good. And I know there were some moments, I think, in replay of, of maybe there were some mistakes from the safety positions on run plays. I think Nick Pickett had a couple of that position for not to – I guess I should name names. That's kind of what we're doing. Um, I think overall he played pretty well, but some things that were noticeable there. Um, I thought Verona McKinley played really well. Of course, he got ejected, and I think that's going to be something throughout this week to see, A, do they replace him with Jordan Happel or Bennett Williams or kind of what does that look like? But he's not starting the second half. But I thought he was a, he, he, he showed up like we thought he would. I thought the corners really played solid overall. Like I don't think D.D. Lenore got beat hardly at all the whole game, and if he did, it was like he made the tackle immediately. And Mikhail Wright made a couple of really nice pass breakups in the end zone. I mean, there was the one that led to, I think, the first Jet Toner missed field goal where he leapt up there and, and just slapped the ball down. He had, well, he drew an offensive, um, yeah, an offensive pass interference call in the end zone later that resulted in another Toner missed field goal. And I think even the play after uh, that pass interference, they threw it, to, you know, threw at him again. I think it was either Tremaine, I think it was Tremaine again. Um, and he was in good position and knocked it away too. So, I mean, I, I mean, Stanford, as we know, when they get the ball close to the end zone, they're going to basically put their big body guys out there and try to play jump ball. And so Oregon's credit, they did that a handful of times in this game and they didn't get beat once. Right. So, I mean, I think, I think on replay, I think I was probably a little more critical of the, and I should say, I gave them a B minus grade because they did get beat a little bit and there were some tackling mistakes, but like in terms of coverage, I think people kind of have a knee jerk reaction, but the reality is Stanford has some big receivers, Simi Foco. I didn't realize this. They said it on the telecast when I watched it again. He's like 6'4", 230, and they said he runs like a, a sub 4'4", 440. Um, I mean, that's a big athletic guy, and it, it makes sense that he was able to get some, behind some players and make some plays. So I, I think overall, that group probably got dinged a little bit more than people by, by people watching the game casually. But on a rewatch, I felt a little bit better about what I saw from that group. And certainly going against Washington State this week, um, you're going to need high-quality play from this group. And, and I, I, I think you're going to see an even better game from, from this unit on Saturday. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss some guys that really stood out individually from this game. And we'll break it all down here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. 
Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel with me on the show as always. And we discussed some grades for the Oregon football team through week one. Eric, overall, as, as a team, what would your grade be? I, I give the team a B-plus grade. Um, I, I think – and I, I think you watch this and go, certainly not perfect, certainly things to improve upon. But for the first game, and we mentioned all the kind of ups and downs, I think you have to be really happy with it. And I think this is a good starting point because – you know, it, it would almost be kind of disconcerting to a certain extent if they came out and it was just absolutely perfect because it's like, where do you go from there? Um, could you have a letdown in, you know, mentally? I think the fact that there was clearly a lot of things to work on, I don't think there's a single position group that played like perfect. And I think probably the closest thing for me, and honestly, I'll, I'll, this would be the last grade I give away because I want people to read it. I gave the receivers slash tight ends an A- minus because I thought those guys were money. I mean, you think about the tough catches that were made in that game. Micah Pittman, I already mentioned that one. Johnny Johnson had a couple that were tough. I know one got waved off. After review, Jalen Red made an incredible catch that, you know, Tyler Shuck threw it into an incredibly tight window. And, I mean, even you watch it again, Chris Fowler's like, there's no way he caught that pass. And he threw it in double coverage um, in that one. And then I think DJ Johnson lived up to the hype and, and, and really – I shouldn't even say the hype because there really wasn't a lot of hype, but lived up to um, kind of what was needed from the tight end position group and basically put that on his shoulders because they just didn't have anyone health, else healthy. So, um, yeah, I, I think B+. Plus and, and I think – I'm excited to kind of see what this pass catching group can do going forward because I give that grade with only aside from the big three, only one other pass catch from any of the other receivers. And that was Devin Williams on a, uh, a nine yard pass. He also dropped a ball. I think his only drop of the game was from Williams. We didn't even really see Chris Hudson much. I know he was, I think targeted once in an end zone, but uh, the ball wasn't really catchable and was pretty well defended too. But um yeah, I think this receiving group is, is lived up to the hype, and, and I'm kind of curious to see kind of what they look like a week from now um, against the Washington State defense, which gave up over 300 yards passing to Oregon State. You brought him up, but I'm going to start with DJ Johnson. I think this was perhaps the most, I don't know if dominant, impressive, mm-hmm. surprising isn't fair too, but just the one that stu- stood out the most to me. Uh, DJ Johnson won because, you know, afterwards, Tyler Shuck said he really wasn't even practicing with him the last couple of weeks because he was with the second team and Shuck was with the first team. Um, And we later learned that Spencer Webb, Hunter Campmoyer, and Patrick Herbert all dealing with injuries undisclosed but were unavailable for the game. And basically, Oregon had just one tight end that they could really lean on and DJ Johnson took full advantage of it. Five catches, 55 yards, one touchdown, had a 26-yard run that was just like, whoa. Like, he got out into open space. And, look, I, I don't think he's won this job, and moving forward he's going to get 90% of the reps if everyone's healthy. No. But I, no. I think he took a big step in this game of taking, uh, taking uh, advantage of an opportunity in which he was going to get a lot of snaps – and he was very impressive in the passing game. He was very impressive in the blocking game. I mean, he destroyed some defensive end, edge rusher type guys with Stanford's defense on some crackback blocks or pull blocks, what have you. And I just think 
the potential of his game at six foot five and 260 pounds, if, if he can, can just smooth out a little bit of some rough edges, because it, it did look a little mechanical with him a little bit at the tight end spot. Didn't look, you know, fluid, but if you can smooth some of that stuff out, Oregon may have something here. That's pretty impressive. I, I feel like the upside with him is really, really high. I mean, from an, like a physical, just from like a, physical attribute athleticism perspective. I really don't know if I can think of a player Oregon's had at tight end aside probably from like Colt Lyerla that is this kind of a freak. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what the, the quoted 40 time was a couple of years ago when they talked about when they joined the team, but it was like four, six or four, seven or something like that. And, and with his size and his ability to run and the physicality that he required to play defensive end before and obviously tight end now, it's exciting. I mean, and, and I, you know, Mario Cristobal said that he has the makings of a great one. And, and I, I'm kind of in line to agree after I know it's just one game. And I agree with you, Matt, that at some point here, you're going to have more than just one scholarship tight end available. And it's going to be interesting to see what the distribution of snaps look like, looks like then. Um, I don't expect he's going to always be. I mean, I think he played almost every snap the entire game. And that's never that's not going to be the case most of the season, I don't think. I mean, again, we don't have much clarity on the health of those other tight ends who didn't play at this point. Um, we don't really know what the injuries are, except for that they were unavailable and, and that a couple of them, Cristobal said, tried to give it a go before the game and, and weren't able to. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think it's exciting. And, and the, I mean, another exciting part of this is that he could, in theory, because of the, you know, um, NCAA ruling on this, you know, this year not counting, you could have two years after this year with him at tight end. And you think of the, the upside he could be, I think, and I know this is probably a little jump to conclusions. I mean, he at least has the physical attributes to be an NFL tight end, right? I mean, he looks like some of the guys you watch on Sundays, certainly big enough, strong enough, and, and athletic enough. And I know, like I said before, I think one thing I do want to see from him is every one of his pass catches, I think, were, were really short and he didn't require much difficulty to get the ball in his hands. And I'm sure that was intentional from Joe Moorhead of like, we don't need to make this more difficult. Let's play to his strengths, which is you get the ball in his hands and he can go. I will be curious to see how he is as a route runner down the field and how he is as a pass catcher making some difficult grabs because we didn't really see any of that on Saturday. Everything was pretty, pretty, you know, short routes, easy catches. I'll be curious to see what it looks like when, when he's kind of moving downfield more. Um, I included Tyler Shuck. I included CJ Verdell um, with those guys that stood out. And I prefaced it by with both of them saying we expected them to be good, but I thought that. Nonetheless, they were two guys that really stood out on the offensive side of the football. Um, I did look at two offensive linemen, Malasala, Oamave, Lalu, and also Stephen Jones. Um, don't know why Stephen Jones didn't play in that first quarter. Um, you don't want to speculate, but typically when that happens, it's kind of something with the coach. Um, yeah, He's made some kind of decision, whether it's academic or you know off-field issue that popped up or something. Um, but that's typically what happens there. And we'll, we'll try and get more clarity there. We don't want to go too far down the speculation there because it's unfair to Steven if he wasn't. Um, but he came in in the, first, in the second quarter, and I feel like when Steven Jones came in and took the left tackle position, things really just seemed to improve drastically across the board. I think it made every other guy kind of fall into maybe their best position. Um at least for that night. And we saw some of the best running splits from Morgan in that game from the second quarter on. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I think 
I was really curious to see those two guys in particular, and probably George Moore. I'll throw him out there. I mean, I was excited to see the whole offensive line and curious, but Stephen Jones has been so much made of him. Same with Salah. Um, and I know you go back and watch, and I think a relative of, of, of Salah, and I, I don't know if it's a brother or a cousin, because in the Polynesian community, it seems like everybody's related in some way, but somebody posted a highlight reel, and you can go find it on YouTube. I think it was Junior Amabe, who, played, who plays or played in the NFL. Um, posted some highlights of him, and you go watch it, and he was just mauling guys, and that's what you wanted to see from him. Huge guy, can move some players, and I think that's why he's a great fit at right guard. Um, and Jones, same kind of thing. You know, and, and I will be very curious again to see kind of what the best makeup of this offensive line is. I, I think those two on the right side is a pretty scary opportunity from a run perspective. If you can run behind Sala and Steven Jones on the right side, I think that's going to be a place you go an awful lot. And I'll be curious to see what does that do for Ryan Walk, who I think played almost exclusively at right guard when he was in. Um, what does that do for TJ Bass at left guard? Is there a competition between Bass and Walk for that spot? Or is it just Bass's because I think he played that spot primarily? Um, but I'm with you. I think that right side there, when those two are working, a lot of success to that side. Defensively, I think Noah Sewell really popped. Um, I thought he was... I think Isaac Slade is always going to be underappreciated. Um, and I, and I, I, I think... Sewell though made some just bone crushing type hits. Um, Cristobal, sure did. Cristobal described them as like uh, wall blasting or wall blasters or whatever. I can't remember the exact phrase, but essentially um, the freshmen were used him and Flo. So uh, Sewell and Flo were used as just battering rams going in and just blowing up the offensive line and allowing uh, some other guys to make some plays. But then we also saw Sewell, um, you know, shoot the gap on one play. It was a perfect, from a micro perspective of a freshman making his first start. He gets, he misses a hole, leads to a big gain on the ground for Stanford. And the very next play, he finds the hole and shoots through it so quickly that Stanford can't block him. And he creates like a three or four yard loss on the play. Um, I thought Sewell was very impressive for a true freshman being in a position in which he was being asked to to put the defense in a lot of, you know, positive situations for them. Absolutely, and you know, I I do think some of the issues in the run fits and stuff could have you know could could have been to a certain extent of you had a true freshman making a lot of calls, right? Yep. Um, he's just going to get better. I, you know, I posted a uh, five predictions for Washington State story. Go check that on the site. I'll I'll give you one of them, but I want you to read the rest. And one of them is I'm predicting Noah Sewell's going to start against Washington State. And then the little bit bolder part is I think he's going to lead the team in tackles. Um, and that's not that bold because he had four on Saturday. He led the team in tackles at halftime. He had four. He didn't have any in the second half. And I know I just want to clarify something on the podcast. This is before I'd rewatched it. I noticed he didn't put any stats up. So I said in the podcast, maybe he wasn't out there very much or he got hurt. He was out there a ton in the second half um, on rewatch. Uh, I think certainly out snapped. Drew Mathis. Um, so he wasn't, he's definitely not injured. He should be healthy. He should be good to go on Saturday. I wanted to clarify that because um, I know I said that on Saturday, but after giving it a, a rewatch, which again, shame on me, I guess, for jumping to conclusions because he didn't have stats. Should be careful with that. But um, I think you have to be just thrilled with what you have here. And the, the bloodline there is pretty incredible. I think you obviously, Penny Sewell came in, was immediately a starter at left tackle. We know how that went. 
and Noah Sewell's come in. And I think by game two, maybe it's not going to be against Washington State. Maybe it'll be the following week against UCLA or, or even a little bit later in the season. But as a, as a true freshman, he's going to start at some point. And he's deserving of that. And I didn't see anything on Saturday. And I'm with you, Matt. He was, I think, one of the most impressive defensive players from this game. In the secondary, I wanted to put Lenore, but I kind of expected that. Like, I mean, maybe I was too harsh on that because, like, I, I think so highly of Lenore. And he was, he was locked down. He was impressive. And so I... I, I sided with, okay, people aren't going to throw at Lenore because they know what he is. He's a proven commodity. And while we, while Mike really, and it, at, you and I think Michael Wright is elite, Oregon Duck fan thinks Michael Wright's going to be really good. Teams are going to test him because he wasn't a full-time starter for Oregon last year. He did not play this just gigantic number of snaps for the defense. It was Thomas Graham and Diomene Lenore when they had two corners out there. And then Michael Wright was the third guy. So I think naturally you're going to test Michael now that he's in the situation. Now he's having to guard, you know, the, the second or the best receiver on the team. And they tested him. And I thought like he had some plays where he gave up some, some yardage, but I think overall Michael played pretty well in his first career start for the ducks. I'm with you. I know I mentioned him earlier when we were talking about the grades for the secondary, I know he got beat a couple times, but you're right. Stanford went at him a lot and that's, I think we should have expected that, right? I mean, with with what they have in the other corner, Mario Cristobal says he thinks he's one of, if not the best corners in the country. We're talking about Didi Lenore. And he proved that. I mean, they went out, they tried to go after Didi a couple times, didn't work. And you kind of go, okay, well, we're going to go to the other side. And this is where Oregon's depth is so impressive. And again, Mikhail Wright was going to be the third corner on this team before Thomas Graham left. You just think yeah. about how exciting that group is going to be. Um, and I think he lived up to it. Obviously, a couple of, a couple of, and I mentioned earlier, a couple of notable plays where he got beat, but like that's going to happen. And I think the thing I love with both of the corners, and, and and you love these guys when they're on your team, is he talks a lot of trash, and so does Didi Lenore. And if you watch after every pass breakup or every incomplete pass to a guy, um, you know his his you know the, that was intended for his receiver. I mean, he is up in his ear. He is celebrating, and you love those kind of guys. I think because they are so invested in the game, and there is a lot of that position in particular, that receiver cornerback battle, that is, I think, psychologically the position where you can have the most advantage because it really is you versus the guy. You know, I, you think about it like on the offensive line and the defensive line. Sure, you're, you could be going against an offensive lineman, but oftentimes there's going to be a second guy helping or you might stunt. So you move to a different guy. You don't typically just focus on one guy all game out there on an island like that you spend a lot of your time just kind of shadowing certain players, especially if you're, if you're in man coverage as much as Oregon is. Um, and I just love the fact that you've got a couple corners out there that know they're good. They want to let the other players know they're good. And you get to a point here where I think the receiver just gets tired of that and it wears on you over the course of a game. And I think we saw that from Lenore. I know he got beat a couple, or sorry, from Wright and Lenore. I know White, Wright got beat a couple times, but I just love the mentality those guys have out there. I agree. Uh, I, I think to play corner and to play in the secondary, um, play just on defense in general. But I think corner in particular, you have to have a sense of confidence, a sense of swag um, about you to, to, to be very good at that spot because you're on an island and yeah. you, you can get exposed. And so, look, when, when you do make plays and you do lock things down like Oregon's corners did, uh, you need to talk your talk and let them, let them know that. Um, I'm, all, I'm all for that as well. 
Um, is there anyone else in particular that like you think needs to be shouted out? I, I think Isaac Slade had some had some solid moments. Um, I know he also had. I mean, and the linebackers in general wasn't perfect. You know, going back to the letter grades, that was my. I'm not going to give the grade. That was my lowest grade from the defense. And go read what that grade was. Um, so, like, I would I would mention him as a leader. I think before the game, I noticed, and again, we're really far away, but it looked like when they were leading the team huddle before the game, he had his helmet out and looked off, I should say, and, and, and was leading that. It's also not by mistake that he was the only defensive player represented in the post-game interviews. Um, for those that haven't checked out the site, and, and you, you can go watch the full interviews. They're on duckterritory.com. We spoke with Tyler Shuck, CJ Verdell, DJ Johnson, and then ISM was the only defensive player. I think maybe it wasn't entirely his play on the field, but I came away thinking like he's clearly filling in for Troy Dye as a leader. Um, and that was a question mark of how they were going to accomplish that. And I think we get a better, I think I feel a little better and have a little bit more confidence now um, about his ability there. And he did lead the team in tackles with five. He had the only quarterback hit um, of the game. So yeah, I, I think that's probably the only other one. And I thought Verone McKinley played pretty solid until he got um, ejected for that helmet to helmet hit, which, we should note when we were watching it live, like that was not on either of our radar. We were both like, what are they reviewing? Like it was a clear, yeah. it was a clearly a fumble and it was clearly recovered by Stanford. And then I'm getting a couple texts from friends and seeing it on social media of like, are we probably going to eject him? It was helmet to helmet. And I was kind of like, no way. And then you watch the replay and it was the right call. Um, that's a big loss for Oregon and, and something certainly um, that they're going to have to figure out before they play Washington State on Saturday. Because one of the big leaders in the defense Mentioned Isaac Slade, but but also Verone is, is one of those guys. Yeah, Verone was impressive in the first half, and then when he before up to the point when he got ejected in the second, and it's going to be curious to see how uh, Oregon goes about replacing him, who who they choose to uh, put there in terms of uh, you know who starts for the Ducks at his safety spot with uh, Verone having to sit that first quarter and look. If there's an opponent you don't want that to happen to, like if 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 you could say, "Hey, Verone's going to get knocked out for a game for the first half," uh, there pick, tell us the one game it absolutely cannot happen to, and I think it's Washington State with how they're going to throw the football and 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 so Oregon secondary is it's going to be interesting to see how they react in that first half. First game on the road, it's going to be cold. Cougars offense looked pretty good. Now, granted, they're playing Oregon State, but nonetheless, they they put up a lot of stuff, a lot of yards, and it's a position in which, or it's a, it's an opponent in which Oregon has struggled against over the years. So, I, I think that's something really to watch now going forward for Oregon in that first half. No doubt, no doubt about it, man. I'm curious to see who it's going to be too. My I guess my early prediction is it'll be Jordan Happel. He's listed as the backup there along with Bennett Williams. One of those two guys I think will be playing field safety in the first half. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We will be back later this week with previews. We'll have an interview previewing the Cougars. We'll also make our predictions, and we've got a lot more in store for you on this podcast. So thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.